BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. All right, all right, all right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is In Liberty and Health. I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. I've talked about the liberty movement quite a bit lately, and uh, maybe I've had some unwarranted pessimism, and I would take that criticism and say you're probably right that I've been unwarrantedly pessimistic, but uh, I think my guest today is going to help bring a little bit back of the... uh, liberty spirit if you will um so before we get into things make sure you go hit all the links below to find out what i got going on find out where you can find my guest and all his great work and um yeah that's about it um a commoncrown.com as well we got a couple shows coming up in uh the end of this month and then throughout the next month so yeah without further ado let's rock and roll what is up everybody my name is kyle matovic I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Today I have with me Adrian Malagone. Did I say that correctly? Malagon. You, you went really Spanish and ethnic with it. I like it. Uh, but, you know, it works. It works. Nice. Uh, how you doing today? Good, man. Thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Um, you know, we were shooting the shit off air and uh, yeah, we both, I, I think, had our plates full, but um, I'm kind of glad that we got to make this work. So um, I guess first things first, give the uh, audience a quick introduction to yourself and, you know, what you do and all that good stuff. Yeah. So I am Adrian Malagon. I am the chair of the Libertarian Party of California. I'm also the chair of the California Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. I chair my own county here in Contra Costa County. I live in the Bay Area here in California, the belly of the beast, so to speak. And I was just recently appointed at large on the Libertarian National Committee. So I was region four rep before then, but uh, but then I got uh, appointed and moved up, I guess, if you want to call it that, uh, voluntold to be the at large. So there, that's how it works. It's congratulations and voluntold. That's how we operate here in the LP. <laughs> Well, I, I love both those words because I've used voluntold <laughs> quite a bit. Um, I haven't heard anybody else say it, so I'm glad somebody else kind of knows that uh, parlance is just as well as I do. Um, so it sounds like you really do a lot out there. I know Angela was formerly the chair of the Libertarian Party out there in uh, California, and she's been on the show a bunch of times, and I absolutely love her. Um, so what 
do you feel like he kind of had big shoes to fill kind of taking over her role there? Oh, absolutely. So she was chair of the caucus here in California, obviously, before she took the big girl chair over at uh, LP National. And she was also the chair of our largest affiliate here in California, which is Los Angeles. So uh, I'm definitely no Angela, but uh, I'm the best that we have for better or for worse uh, following <laughs> her really big shoes to fill, which is funny because she's so tiny. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just doing the best that I can. And I, I've learned a lot from her. So uh, just out here doing what I can. Right. So uh, I know this is perhaps maybe a little bit irrelevant to uh, the conversation at hand, but when I think Barrier, all I can think about is the old school Bay Area thrash metal bands. That was kind of like the big thing back in the 80s. You know, the metal bands used to come out of the Bay Area in California and then, you know, eventually go tour over the country. Um, uh, uh, do you know anything about that or what's it like out there? I mean, I've heard a little bit of stuff. I know I have some friends that kind of go to like small venues and stuff. COVID really messed everything up and all that. Yeah. I don't know how much it's pissed, how much it's picked up or not since then. And I'm not huge on the metal or rock scene. Like I'll listen to stuff. I, I listen to everything but country pretty much. It's not it's not something that, that particularly, uh, I, I don't know. It's just not my jam. But, you know, if you like it, good for you. Uh, but I listen to a little bit of everything, not really into the music. I don't get a chance to go out much. Like, look at all the stuff that <laughs> uh, mostly LP events. That's when I get out of the house. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that I have always enjoyed is the uh, Libertarian Party events, honestly. Um, I, I joke about them on the show, but honestly, I do enjoy kind of getting out and going to go see everybody. Um, when the last one I went to, I want to say was last year's convention. I didn't make it out to this year's because I think it was in Philadelphia and that's like six hours away from me. And like, Sorry, I'm not driving six hours to go to a Libertarian Party event. Um, that that's that's a lot of time, money, and I think I had a show or something that weekend, anyways. So, um, yeah, it's always fun to kind of get out and about and spend time with people because I know, I'm sure everybody knows that uh, we love to spend time on Twitter throwing bombs and just talking shit. But like, you know, it, it really does remind you how great at least for me i'm by nature an optimist so i absolutely love being around people and i just think that it's like very lively to get out and have a few drinks and just shoot the shit with like-minded people yeah I, I mean it's one of the things that kept us sane here in california especially during the lockdowns just trying to get people were itching to meet in person and do things and we're trying to keep that alive so i'll go to meetups not just in my county but other you know other counties that are nearby i'm going to fresno we're having a big central area meetup but kind of had all of our area coordinators pick some massive fundraising kind of meetup thing. So the central area one is in Fresno this Saturday, driving down for that. It's about three hours for me. We're doing another one here in the Bay Area at a winery in about two weeks or not. I'm sorry, not this weekend, but next weekend. So next Sunday, uh, that'll keep me busy. And then we have one down south later this year. So in December. So, I mean, it, it is really a good place to meet people. And it's really funny. There's some people that I thought I wouldn't like meeting in real life that you that you see on Twitter every once in a while, then you meet them. You're like, okay, they're, that's just like a personality or they're different online than they are in person. I'm probably sure that that applies to me as well, but it, it is nice to meet like-minded people, especially in such totalitarian authoritarian, you know, clusterfuck of a place that is California. I love it. It is geographically beautiful. You cannot beat the diversity of stuff that you can do here. Hiking, beach, uh, good weather or no weather, however you want to look at it. It's really nice that it's the same pretty much everywhere. Uh, but, you know, our our rulers, so to speak, have made it an inhabitable place, unfortunately. So it's really nice to meet like-minded people and, and get people involved and show everyone that we're not all the same here. There are some sane, normal California Californians, they might be slightly autistic if they're libertarian, but it's okay. I'll take that over, you know, the 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 woke liberal craziness, right? Yeah, absolutely. So 
Oops. Sorry about that. <laughs> so uh, one thing that I heard, and perhaps this requires a little bit of background, but like I took my wife up to go meet Kelly Clarkson in New York City. And I remember looking around and thinking just like, oh, my God, this is horrible. There's scaffolding everywhere. There's garbage all over the streets. It smells like piss, weed and anxiety. And people have. Yes, they've told me that California in some cities is worse. Um, is there any truth to that? There is at least. So I don't get down to Southern California very often. I just it's it's that NorCal SoCal thing. I just I just hate them because they exist. Not really, obviously, but you know, it's nice weather. It's a great place. Yeah. There's a lot of great people down there. Not to sound too Trumpian about it. A lot of great people, you know, but uh, in San Francisco, that is definitely true. <laughs> the best. Uh, <laughs> I've really avoided the city. I used to go. I mean, when I when I worked in, in person, you know, I used to commute, take bar every day, go in and I've just seen it steadily get worse. Uh, and the last time I was in the city was probably about I want to say about four ish months ago, uh, just driving in. And I think it was like at 2 PM and it was barren. I mean, there was hardly anyone there outside of like homeless. And we're talking about 2 PM, 3 PM on a Wednesday or something like that. Right. And there was maybe, maybe a fourth of the normal foot traffic that you would see down market street or some somewhere in Soma, which is South of market or the business, the financial district, which is where all the big businesses are. And, uh, you know, Twitter, you'll see Uber there, all that kind of stuff. They're a little bit further up, but it, it was kind of crazy to me, but you will see homeless people. You will literally see shit on the street that you have to avoid. Uh, it does smell like piss regret, uh, liberalism all the all those wonderful smells so that stuff i can attest to is being true like all the stories that you've heard the needles on the street you go you even drive down i remember i was driving i think it was that same day or it might have been a week before i was driving uh i think it was in diamond heights or pacific heights so those are the really high-end neighborhoods i think pelosi's house is in diamond heights just to give some sort of perspective there you know huge mansion with a gate one of her houses and you had people that were outside with a hose and they were spraying down their driveways. And I know why they were spraying it down, right? It's because someone had just like taken a shit there or pissed there. And it's just part of, you know how most people go and they they take the recycling out, the, the garbage, that whole thing. Part of that kind of cadence that you have to work into your routine is if you're a San Franciscan is <laughs> hosing down your driveway or whatever, if you're one of the the lucky ones that gets to have a house or a property there, right? So that that stuff I can attest to, it is bad. Oakland. Oakland is bad in different ways. I mean, there is a lot of construction or destruction, however you want to look at it. Mm. And uh, a lot of cleanup and stuff, construction, all of that. Uh, I haven't seen as much of it there, but Oakland, Oakland has different problems. And I'm about, about 20 minutes, 20, 20, 25 minutes from the city on a, on a good day, about 15 minutes from Oakland. So I try to avoid those places as much as possible and stay on my side of the East Bay because it's uh, a little cleaner. I'm the darkest person here, so it's kind of nice. I, I feel safe. You know, it's good. It's all good. <laughs> that was. Uh, uh, people can take that the very, very wrong way if they if, if they really paid attention. <laughs> um. So uh, I'm I'm from uh, southwestern Pennsylvania. So like you know, obviously it's about like like 45 minutes, maybe an hour on a bad day to get to Pittsburgh. And uh, after going to New York, I remember people around here saying like, "Oh my God, Pittsburgh's so terrible." And then I went to New York City. I'm like, oh, my God, this place makes Pittsburgh look like fucking Tel Aviv. I swear to God. I'm like, the streets here, 
like there's some bad parts but like my god new york like just everywhere there's homeless people if there's a closed down store with some stairs in front of it there's going to be boxes in front of it where a homeless person's staying and then they're leaning up against the poles there's piss and shit everywhere um and there's so much freaking foot traffic. I mean, it was it was very, very weird for me because, you know, I've grown up in small towns all around here. So kind of getting out and about there was just very, very strange. So I have to imagine California is probably always like that. But then, you know, I'm guessing you probably live in like a suburb or something like that as well. Yeah. So I do live in the suburbs now. I did live in the city for uh, probably like five or six years for too long, however. And then I moved to the <laughs> East Bay again. So I was in the East Bay, then went to the city for a while, then moved back because I kind of saw the writing on the wall and you could see... Sure crime or shittiness just progressing in certain neighborhoods like i used to live in the mission district and i could see like the really bad parts were 16th and mission and i was on uh, 26th and valencia which is just one block up from from mission and i could see it getting worse and worse you see more homeless people you see more just crime more vandalism more shit and stuff on the streets and all of it getting progressively worse and that's when i was like you know it's it's time to go uh, I'll go back to the East Bay and and go to a little quieter part and and all of that. But uh, there are parts that do look like a third world country. You know, I I was joking earlier. I am Mexican, so I I've been to Mexico my fair share of times. There are there are places that look legitimately worse than some of the worst parts of Mexico. I mean, not counting cartel activity and all of that, of course. But uh, it just it looks like a third world country. You would be. I remember there. Was, and this was I think it's 2019. I mean, this has been an issue for a while. It's just gotten worse. And I remember there was like some article in the New York Times about a family. And I, Gavin Newsom, I don't, he wasn't the mayor at the time. I think it was still Ed Lee. But because, yeah, Gavin Newsom had just left the mayor's office. I think it was Ed Lee. But uh, anyway, someone got really mad. And so the New York Times wrote this article about they followed like this family that had come from somewhere in the East Coast and they had come for a week to, you know, see all this, the things, the Golden Gate Bridge, the pier, all the touristy stuff. And they realized day one that they went to the Ross on Market Street and they had to buy shoes. So they bought shoes for the duration of their trip there. Sometimes they had to buy them again because it was just like they saw the tenderloin and all these needles and all this stuff and they didn't want to use their regular shoes so they bought throwaway shoes was kind of the the point of the article that there's some parts of san francisco that look really nice and then you turn a corner and if it's the wrong corner holy shit um it's not great so this has been an ongoing issue it's just gotten progressively worse no pun intended or pun intended however you want to look at it (laughs) yeah i got you man so it seems like you keep a relatively good head on your shoulders and a similar outlook like I do. Like you can just kind of laugh shit off and not take stuff too personally and stay relatively positive. Um, I think if I was in your position, I would be like, get me the fuck out of here already. Like, um, you know, lockdowns here were pretty rough. I'm, I'm absolutely sure that in California they were worse. Um, the story I always use is that like my wife got handed a slip and she was told like, Hey, show this to the police. If you're out driving to get to work. Yeah, stuff like that. And then, you know, me as an auto mechanic, I got laid off. So it was was pretty disturbing. Um, Why? How do I want to phrase this? When it comes to the Libertarian (laughs) Party and your hope for, you know, achieving liberty in California, um, what kind of keeps the flame of liberty burning for you out there? So I think what it is, I we experienced a lot of the same stuff that you talked about and seeing a lot of this firsthand, I think what I'm really waiting for ultimately is the collapse. 
because something has to rise from the ashes. This is this is not sustainable. And the collapse will happen here in the Bay Area, and then it'll trickle down. Most stuff happens in the Bay Area. The worst policies get instituted here first. Sometimes it's LA, but it's usually San Francisco or some other part of the Bay Area, whether it's Berkeley or Oakland. Berkeley's another one I want to shout out as a, a, a place that I hate to go to and I avoid at all costs. But uh, I, I think that's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for the ultimate collapse. This is not sustainable and something has to give. In the current system now, a lot's not gonna change. People, there's the psychological element. I learned this, I was running a campaign for a libertarian in Hayward, which is in the Bay Area. And, and we lost to a communist, like a literal communist. The guy had the communist star as part of his logo for his campaign uh, and just gave no fucks, right? And he was a Berkeley grad, very stereotypical progressive type mentality sort of thing. And people are afraid to be on the quote unquote losing side. It's a psychological thing. So I, I really hate when people say everyone's libertarian. They just don't know it. That's not true. They agree with a lot of the things that we have to say, but ultimately they want to be on the winning team. So they're going to vote Republican or in this case, Democrat, because they run the table here. Right. right? But if that doesn't really exist anymore or it's just beyond beyond salvaging and you can't make any sort of argument for why that system should be kept there then something has to take its place. And there's nothing to suggest that the Libertarian Party can't. We're making good strides in notoriety and putting our name out there in recruitment, bringing in new members, just getting our message out. And I think that that resonates with a lot of people. And it really starts by word of mouth. So you have these meetups and it doesn't have to be you know, business. We don't have to get into parliamentary shit or whatever. But what we do is get them out, get them involved and let them see that there are other cool people. So libertarians aren't people that want to like own nukes and you know, whatever. It's that old meme of the guy that goes to a city council meeting and it's like libertarians don't want to own nuclear arms. They just want to be able to like paint their shed green or whatever and they have to get a permit. And people start realizing that this is a thing. And it's funny because I've met a lot of new people that come and they get brought by other members. It's just a friend that maybe said something that was liberty oriented. Okay, hey, come and meet some people that kind of think like me. You're not going to be fully bought in. There are people that come in, they're they're ready to go and they're ready to get combative and they realize, oh, okay, a lot of that stuff actually makes sense. And I'm I'm okay with that. I'm still not on board with this for environmental reasons, or I still really like the cops or whatever. It's a okay, I can work with that. As long as you agree with some of this stuff, the hatred of the the police and the deep state and all that stuff will come later. But I can work with you at least willing to come meet new people and have a conversation. There are a lot of Californians that way uh, that, especially here in the most restrictive parts, believe it or not. So I live in a truly purple county, which is also really nice. There are some counties that are a little bit worse. Obviously, San Francisco is its own city and county. Alameda is where Berkeley and Oakland are. I live in a purple county, so it makes it a little bit easier for me. And then Orange County is probably the only other true purple county in California. The others are either red, there is red people, believe it or not, or blue. So uh, that's kind of the thing that keeps the hope alive is people wanting to get involved and seeing that there is an alternative, but ultimately just waiting. For me personally, it's waiting for this ultimate collapse, which I think is is eminent. It, there's really no way around it. Sure. Yeah, I completely understand that. Um, so now when it comes to kind of turning people over to libertarianism, um, I hear a lot of people say that, oh, you can't have leftists. And um, in my mind, I'm always asking like, well, what the fuck is a leftist anymore? And what the fuck is a right winger anymore? Because like, if you look at Donald Trump and what he's running on now, he's literally a center left Democrat. He's an 80s Democrat. 90s, he's an 80s yeah. Democrat. 80s, right. 90s Democrat. Yeah. Like a completely identical to that. But he's considered, like, if you would say you're a right winger to the average person, that's what they're going to think. And like a lot of 
the libertarians that I'm sure you talk to just as well as I do would kind of boil it down to like, okay, well, left is recognition of hierarchy or I'm sorry, right is recognition of hierarchy. And then left is um, equal te- or, um, you know, things being equal um, equality. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, do you find it's difficult to convert over progressives or do you think that it's just more of like, kind of like you said, people just want to be on the winning side and they loosely agree with these things. So they feel more comfortable in this kind of space. I think that it's significantly easier to approach right-wingers, Republicans, whatever you want to call them. The thing is, it's funny that you brought that up. I don't think they know themselves. They don't know how to identify. They We use these terms very broadly, whether it's left-wing, liberal, progressive, Democrat, those are not all the same. Right. And people don't even know how they identify or where they fall into that spectrum. You can talk to a progressive and he'll say, I hate the Democrats. And it's because they're not progressive enough. Right. And they don't really know what it means to be a classical liberal, which is what traditionally libertarians are. And they don't understand that. It's a lot easier to talk to Republicans because they're on board with especially it kind of just depends on the area that you're in. So here in California, the strategy is more to talk to uh, Republicans because they're used to losing here. Right. They haven't won since like the Reagan years. So they're open to other parties to a certain extent, not the establishment types. I'm not talking about the people that would, you know, take a bullet for Kevin McCarthy or something like that. But I mean, the ones that are more probably MAGA oriented or just want to see some sort of disruption, like a lot of the people that we've gotten to come in and gotten involved didn't vote for Trump. They didn't like Trump, but they liked the disruption and they liked some of the stuff that he had to say when he was making his first bout around for president. He's kind of obviously dropped off since then, but it's just they wanted to hear something different, something that wasn't allowed or permitted or however you want to look at it. And those are the, the people that are easiest to target because they they started to see first and foremost how bad things have gotten for them. These are the people that went to city council meetings or are still going to city council meetings or school board, school board meetings and getting shut out and telling you know being told that they can't that they can't talk to they can't have any sort of say in their their kids curricula or whatever the case might be so that's probably the way to do it if you're in a really deep red state probably somewhere in the south or the midwest it's probably easier to get you know left wingers or progressives or whatever on your side because you're going to agree about decriminalization of drugs you're going to might agree on i mean the left used to be anti-war now they're not what a time to be alive but you know you might find other things that they might be a little bit more susceptible to a distrust of the police for instance or a dislike of the police so you might be able to do that it kind of just depends on the area that you're in it's the the whole ron paul thing when he would go to new hampshire he had a different speech than he would when he went to like maryland or vermont and it's not that the message is being diluted it's that i know that we agree here so let's talk about the things that we if we agree as aristotle used to say if if you you can't have a conversation unless you agree on first premises so if you agree on these premises then we can start building off of that we may hit a a roadblock and that's fine but we've at least we we haven't determined that each other is crazy or ridiculous and then we can move past the you're literally hitler and you're some lovey-dovey hippie you know all this hyperbolic bullshit yeah i agree um It's it's kind of strange to watch this whole election play out because, you know, everybody's either well, really nobody's really dying for Biden to get back in again. But I, I think people just realize that, like, hey, the right from their perspective seems absolutely insane. So whatever isn't that is what they're willing to support. But I think kind of like you said, Trump has kind of dropped off and yeah, the disruption's cool and all that. But I, I think he's lost a lot of that energy that he had back you know, eight years ago now, almost. And I, 
I don't think he's going to win against Biden in 2024 if that's who the nominee is. Um, but, you know, I, I think people still want him regardless. And one interesting thing that I've kind of pondered over the last couple of days after Trump kind of came out against abortion or for abortion, like against being pro-life, um, it, it kind of confirmed my belief that people are just kind of going by whatever their leader says. Like if uh, I think if Trump came out and was very, very pro-war tomorrow, like take, for example, when he bombed Iran or well killed Soleimani. Which um, time? Oh, yeah. Soleimani only happened one time, but the bombing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, uh, when he drone striked uh, Soleimani, everybody was ready to go to war with Iran. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, I, I think it's just, you know, whatever their side's in charge, it's whatever, you know, their leader says goes. So. Um, now, I, now, I think this kind of gives you a little bit of an opportunity as someone that's kind of in a leadership position of the um, of one certain sector of the Libertarian Party. I think this is kind of where it's important to have good leaders because I think people are looking for good leaders. And what we have now, I think, are bad leaders generally because they're not leading people to what I would deem as good values. So um, I, what do you think is kind of the best way to kind of help spread this message? In my opinion, it's always been like, you know, good leadership and living by the values that we share and we want to see in the world. I, I mean, I think it's that it's by doing and showing, I mean, that it's kind of the thing that's going to do it, but I think there has to be something as much as I don't care. I mean, I'm all about decentralization and everything at the local level, stuff at the federal level doesn't really matter. You know, who cares what some ass wipes doing in some white house, 3000 miles away, at least for me. Right. Uh, but I, I think it comes to that. And it's, it's about showing that we're not afraid to do certain things. So, I mean, at, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but so LP National, we did a thing on the LNC where we filed for a conservatorship against Joe Biden and <laughs> Mitch McConnell. And some of, the, I mean, it got a lot of, I mean, 95% of the feedback was positive from all sides. Like, I mean, you had some liberals going in there and commenting on stuff. I saw there was a Newsweek article. I think it was picked up by The Guardian too. I could be mistaken. There was a few outlets that picked it up. And if you go into the comments section, a lot of it was, I wish the GOP had the balls to do something like this, but they've clearly shown that they haven't. And people are like, oh, good. You know, this isn't going to go anywhere. Then you, well, you had the the non-fund, the Karens, right? Well, that's not going to accomplish. They're not going to get that. And it's like, yeah, that's not, we, we're going to still try. I, of course, we're not going to let us have conservatorship over Biden. Oh, could you imagine? I mean, the guy can't even, they don't, he doesn't even get to go to the bathroom by himself anymore, uh, mm -hmm. probably for multiple reasons, let alone having someone else, you know, run his life or whatever. But it's it's that kind of stuff showing that we're not going to, we see this for what it is. We have people, as, as Angelo so brilliantly said in that article, people that you wouldn't leave home alone right, that you wouldn't trust to be home alone by themselves, running the largest country and arguably the most important country in the world. Like that's insane, right? So we need to show people that this is the case. So it comes through not just doing, uh, but also and leading in that fashion, but actually having the messaging that backs it up and showing people that we're not afraid to call people tyrants, to call them authoritarians. You know, at the LNC level, we have Operation Warhawk removal, which is going to be pinning people against the most egregious war hawks across the country at a federal level and challenging them. And we may not have candidates for each race, but it doesn't mean that we can't, you know, have some sort of, I don't want to say negative ad campaigning, but I mean, it's negative for them, but it's showing who they really are. Right. right. And, and waking people up to this sort of, to this sort of um, just ridiculousness that's been going on for so long. So that's going to play a huge part of, I think a huge part into the whole thing. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. Kind of shifting over to some of the foreign policy stuff. I know the uh, Libertarian Party has been pushing a lot of uh, Defend the Guard stuff, and that actually seems to be going very, very well. But, um, you know, everybody's talking about Ukraine and Russia right now. And the one thing that I always harp on in this show and on Twitter all the time is the coming Cold War, well, hot war with China, because that is the government's big focus. If you look at every single NDS, um, every single official, when they vote, when they talk about this stuff, all the military buildup is going towards China. Russia is just kind of like, you know, the, the, the mid boss here, the guy that's like, oh, well, we're going to roll over him. And then they're not talking about, you know, going to a full hot war with Russia. They're talking about going to a full on hot war with China. And this is where a lot of the Republicans fail as well, because they're super, super, super hawkish on China. And the main right. reason why they want to stop funding the war in Ukraine is so that we then go fight a war <laughs> with China. <laughs> like, all right, all right, well, you guys had me until here. So, like, I like this idea of Operation Warhawk removal. Let's show the public marco rubio saying we should blow up chinese warships they're fucking three miles you know what is it three thousand five thousand miles away what the fuck are we doing over there who cares or do you really think they're going to come over here we'll blow their shit out of the water if they actually pose a threat to the united states if they really posed a threat do you do you think we wouldn't have like nuked beijing already no they just want to maintain global hegemony and China goes into a country with a briefcase. We go in there with a bomb and it just so happens right. people don't like to be blown up. People like to get money. That's the thing, right? And everyone seems to either forget this or not know it. it and I think it's a combination of both because I, I've seen it on both sides. That's how China operates. They don't have, yeah. they, they have no desire to actually go to war. I mean, if provoked, I'm assuming they want to keep Asia separate and they want to control over what they perceive to be their territories, right? right. And they're, you know, they want to be the big powerhouse and like the, like in the Asian world, right? Whatever that means for them. And they have no problem, like you said, taking a briefcase to Africa or any other country that's willing to take their money and doing it that way. That's, I guess, the smart way to do it. You know, that's how they've infiltrated the US and buying all these businesses and properties and doing that uh, while we want to go. Who was it? I saw something earlier today. It was like one of the actors, one of those stereotypical actors that basically said, if you don't want to uh, if you're not down, I'm not quoting this correctly, but it was something like if you're basically if you're not down for World War Three, you're you're a giant pussy and you don't deserve to live in America or something like that. Mm -hmm. I forgot who the actor was. It was one of the I think it was Sean Penn. Sean Penn. That was the one. I think there was something making the rounds either yesterday or today. And it's just that kind of mentality is so stupid on every level. And it just shows that just because you have a platform and you're the loudest doesn't necessarily mean that people should listen to you because you really don't understand the nuance right. of the situation. And then the funny thing is what you just said too, the, the whole like, let's stop, you know, you have the really neocon, well, I mean, the super hardcore neocons are we can fight everything on both fronts, right? We yeah. can fight Russia right. and fight China because we're America, right? Yeah. And then you have the more, <laughs> what would be the more, uh, I guess, conservative type of Republican saying, you know, well, we should stop Russia so that we can focus all of our energy on China. I mean, that's not better, but I, I guess like if I had to choose between the two, I would rather only fight one power right. than not two, uh, not both, especially not at the same time. But ideally, we wouldn't be you know, meddling in either of them. But it's just really funny that they think that because this presupposes, right, that we have this money. So that we have the money to fight Russia now, despite being $33 trillion in debt. Like we can't even fathom that amount of money. Like if you really stop to think about it and, and it's just a number to people, they just see it and it's like, oh, it's 33 trillion, it's whatever, right? No one understands. It's as if that money exists 
And now you want to just, okay, well, we can just reallocate it. Just, just, you know, move some numbers around, do your magic. And then we can just ship that to China and everything is good as if that's somehow going to be better. Uh, not just on a global scale, but for us, economic. It just, it really blows my mind that this is the mentality. And, and these are the people that are in power, right? It's just, what a, it's, it's insane. The whole thing is just absurd. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I know um, you've probably seen it making the rounds too, but uh, the Biden administration spent $1 trillion in 90 days. In three months, $1 trillion. And like what, you know, everybody knocks Trump for his COVID spending and I definitely do too. But like, if you look at the graph of, you know, pre-COVID spending, it was a consistent ramp up. And then 2020 happened, it shot through the roof. And then 2021, it came down, but it was still almost double 2019 levels. It kind of reminded me, of, I don't know if you remember this movie, This might, I might be dating. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Myself, but there was the movie. I, I must have been young. Uh, I forgot. I think it was called, it was literally called Blank Check. I think it was like a Disney movie, one of those like made for TV movies. Sure. And it was a kid who came across what it sounds like a blank check. And it was, he wrote a million dollars when it was still a lot, a lot of money. And it took him, <laughs> you know, I think it took him about three months or maybe a little less. I don't really remember the, I mean, it, it's been, you know, 30, 30 plus years since I've seen it or whatever. But, uh, and, and, and the whole, the joke about that movie, if you think about it as an adult is, well, he didn't know better. He bought like a, he rented a castle and then I think he got a bouncy house and bought whatever the newest video game was and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, well you can forgive him because he's a kid and it took him however many days to spend a million dollars. And I forgot how the movie ended, but the fact that the Biden administration did that with 1 trillion over 90 days, you're talking about adults that should theoretically have some sort of economic sense just blow like it, it, they it's like they watched this movie and said well we can do this with a trillion dollars it's fine because the <laughs> government also has a blank check and they just think that they can do whatever they want except that in the movie i'm assuming that the kid there's something happens and the kid has to come to terms with what he did because it was someone's money the government doesn't have that or they have the luxury of not having to worry about that right so they continue to spend and spend and spend and everything to them is uh, it reminds me of the whole pentagon thing where uh, you know, when the plane just because 9-11 just happened, when the plane went into that side and the whole thing became, oh, where there's, I think it was $600 billion unaccounted for. And the first thing I said was, I mean, I think I was, I was only, oh, well, I said this after the fact, I was, I was young, but I said, I, I'm pretty sure that's a rounding error. And sure enough, I mean, that's they, it's what it was for them. It's a rounding error. And that think about how absurd that is because they can just play with all of this money as if it's monopoly. I mean, it is monopoly money, not as if for them, but the whole thing is just, it's, it's beyond absurd. Yeah. It's, it's so funny because like, when you put it that way, like 
<laughs> for them, you know, a rounding error is six hundred billion dollars. For like the average person, a rounding error of like fifty dollars for a lot of people, at least where I live, that's like, okay, well, it's gonna be a little bit tighter this pay, just right you know, for now. That's between and, rent and milk. Like I've been there. Like I mean, living here in the Bay Area, I've had to decide between rent and am I gonna buy milk for the cereal, and that's the only thing that I can afford to eat. Uh, now I eat cereal just because I like it, but. <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the thing, right? And they don't think about this stuff, and they want to think about talking or working for the common man. And it's six hundred billion dollars. We can't fathom that as lowly, poor individuals. And like you said, fifty dollars is a lot to a lot of people, uh, and that's not being hyperbolic. That's the difference between maybe you know your kids getting shoes or having eggs for dinner as opposed to for breakfast, sort of a thing. Uh, that's that's a big deal, especially now when eggs are twelve dollars a carton or whatever it was the last time I went to the store. I don't even remember. Yeah, man, I couldn't imagine being in in California paying for that stuff. And now, obviously, like I'm sure that your your salary and stuff out there, at least for people living in California, is probably higher than here in Pennsylvania. But like, you know, I it sucks to live in a state like Pennsylvania because like everything's cheap, but everything's cheap. So like, you want to move out of here you're fucked. <laughs> like you're, you're going to make a little tiny bit of money on your house. You'll be good. But like, you're going to move somewhere here. If you want to leave from like California or New York, I remember when we were in New York, it was like, you could pay seven or $800 a month to park your car in a garage in the city. I'm like, that is insanity. I couldn't fucking imagine. It's about the same in San Francisco, give or take. I, I remember that much. I didn't have a car the entire time I lived there, but I do have friends that still live there and obviously have to pay for it. And sometimes the, the garage isn't even in your building. So you still have to walk three or four yes. blocks to whatever the structure is. And then you have to wait, you have to account. So if you have to go somewhere, you basically have to leave your apartment or your condo or whatever, maybe 45 minutes, half an hour to 45 minutes before you actually have to, because you have to walk to the, the parking garage and mm -hmm. you have to wait. Sometimes the cars are blocked or whatever. So you have to wait for the attendant to go get it or something. It's, it's like a whole thing. It's a journey just to get your car out. So that's why people that live in San Francisco tend to tend to kind of stay there. And I'm assuming it's, it's almost the same for New York, but California is, I always used to say, and it wasn't a joke. It used to be that anytime I went on holiday anywhere, it was cheaper for me than staying here, which is really, really absurd. I mean, right. the last time I left, uh, that's not counting DC. We had an LNC meeting in DC and that is the most mm -hmm. expensive place. A uh, cup of black coffee and a triple shot of espresso. I got. I thought that he'd messed up my order somehow and thought that I got one of those fruity girly drinks or something. Uh, <laughs> no, but it was $16. And I, I could, yeah, at a Starbucks, right? And that, that was just insane to me. Yes, that was absurd. I, I was sticker shocked as a Californian and I was just too early to deal with this. So I kind of bitched at the guy and then I was like, you know, it's not your fault. I get it, but this is, you have to understand I'm a Californian and I'm sticker shocked and that doesn't happen because I'd just gone, well, I mean, I think this was earlier this year or, or last year, I went to Texas where I was at a hotel bar. We were waiting before a UFC fight that we were gonna go see. And I, it was me and one of my buddies, we were waiting for the girls to get ready. And I was like, okay, I'll buy the first round or whatever. So I bought, two beers and so the guy then they're ready so of course as soon as we go order the beers they're ready and we're about to head out and so the guy brings me the tab and he says uh and so i said oh no no it was like a i think it was eleven dollars eleven fifty or something like that i said oh no no this is i meant for both of us uh is was my immediate reaction he goes yeah two two beers and he shows me and makes me look like i'm retarded and i went <laughs> oh wow i said well i'm not you know i'm not retarded i'm from california and then i just stopped talking i was like nope that's not helping the situation sorry uh no that's great thank you and 
you know, that's what I'm used to when I go someplace. I mean, when I went to Freedom Fest in Memphis, things were super cheap compared to what they are here. And you're right. I never really thought about it in the inverse. It is significantly harder for someone to leave their area to someone else, even if it's a lateral move as far as income yeah. or demographics or concern. Uh, we have it a little bit easier here, but then now, you know, Gavin Newsom is trying to get every little bit that he can. So he's taxing people even after the fact when they've left yeah. California and trying to do that. I mean, I guess good luck with that. But I mean, that just shows you how much we're hurting all the way around for every given pet project that's happening here at any given time. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes to something you said earlier about the uh, the streets essentially being empty at 2 p.m. on a uh, Wednesday that like, man, th that should be packed in a city. Um, and if it's empty, then that means like people are fleeing like crazy. Um, so I kind of wanted to pivot back to some of the uh, stuff that you're doing in the Libertarian Party. So when it comes to Defend the Guard, um, how has that been? And do you know a lot about what's going on like in your area? And do you think that there's a reason for optimism there? So I know that a lot of states have been successful and are like as far as legislature is concerned, we sure. have not been that fortunate yet in California. I'm hoping that we will be in the future. We have a lot of veterans here that are obviously very passionate about that. Uh, I would like to at some point mean Dan McKnight. I know that he's been very pivotal in this whole thing, and uh, I think that would be really great. And uh, so on that front, I mean, I know that states have been successful, but that's kind of died down a little bit as far as me hearing about it not that things aren't happening but you know you can only give updates and everything is such a slow process we want uh instant gratification we're americans right so we want to see results yeah. now and it's going to take some time i know that this was a, a really big thing probably about a year ago uh, almost a year ago exactly and so some of the stuff is moving up in legislatures across different states and they're trying to make moves to do something uh here in california we've kind of put a pause to it for now but it doesn't mean that we're not going to revisit it. So I can't really speak too much to, to what's going on in other states outside of, I know that it's been moving forward. How how quickly is a different story? Sure, sure. Um, so obviously we have an election coming up as well. Um, what's kind of going on for candidates in California? Um, I'm sure that you guys probably have like a little bit of a slate or kind of some ideas when it comes to like messaging or good candidates to run. We're hoping to get that. Uh, so right now, so Angela just made an ask of all chairs across the country to kind of get a slate of candidates so that, you know, LP National can provide support and start promoting them and doing stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, here in California, uh, a lot I'm not going to lie, a lot of people are a little, uh, they're hesitant to do it because, I mean, they've seen the results we had. We got completely swept here in California last year with elections and it, it was bad. I mean, we had one of the highest ranking libertarians uh, that was a county supervisor for one of the largest, a larger county here in California. And he lost because unions hate uh, anyone that's not going to back their play. And they will put, without batting an eye, hundreds of thousands of dollars behind an opponent's campaign just because. So it's particularly difficult here in California. And even, like I said, the campaign that campaign that I ran here in the Bay Area, we lost to a communist. So it's really hard for people to get amped up about that stuff because you're asking for a lot, right? If you're running for even a local race, you're asking for probably volunteer time. So I ran the campaign as a volunteer. Uh, everyone on staff was a volunteer and they, you know, they do a lot of stuff and it's usually a lot of the same people. So they get burned out. Um, so we're going to try to refocus our efforts some other way. I'm trying to figure out what the best way to do that is maybe just allocating efforts toward what I'm going to be doing is promising serious candidates that have good messaging that are really solid on doing things is uh, instead of just kind of throwing some money at them is they need experience. They need resources. They don't need money. They need 
to know what to do and how to best do it. So we're going to try to invest what we're not try. What we're going to do is invest money into campaign strategists and managers, not necessarily here in California, but that know what they're doing and kind of have them on retainer so that they can give advice when needed for specific situations where some of us just lack experience and we don't know what we're doing in that, in that sure. specific area. So I think that that's a better use of our time. And it's a matter here in California anyway, it's a matter of pinpointing the winnable things when these candidates come forward and decide to throw their hat in the ring because there is nothing more, um, I guess, devastating or black coming for someone than to allocate countless hours towards this particular candidate and then not seeing a return or seeing a devastating loss. And that's what we had. It wasn't just a California thing. It was across the country. So there are certain things like for the Operation Warhawk thing, for instance, that's going to be better for other smaller states where you can unseat someone or you can ran, run a campaign against someone that will give them a run for their money. And we may not win as libertarians, but they will lose and we might get the the lesser of the two evils. We're not you know, promoting the lesser of the two evils, but that'll make them see that they have to get better on certain things. Like I'm really tired of people talking about libertarians spoiling races. But no, we didn't spoil anything for you. Your candidates suck and you just need to do better. And if you want to do better, then you have an option to do that. But then you think that you're going to lose on the other front. So you kind of have to play this game. So I, at least here in California, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to find one or two serious candidates at the very least that we can run and have some wins under our belt. If not, maybe provide a spoiler, not by throwing a candidate in the ring, but perhaps by doing door knocking against the people that are running. If it's just one person running, because uh, running for the sake of running isn't always going to be beneficial. Sometimes I understand what the allure is for that. But we really have to allocate our resources to not burn people out because our our bench isn't deep and our volunteers only have so much time to do X, Y, or Z. So we have to make the best use of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really, really like that idea of kind of in this kind of what I've always ran with, too, is that, you know, if your candidate sucks so bad, then we wouldn't have to run somebody theoretically against them. Like, you don't see anybody dying on the cross of saying, hey, we should run against Rand Paul or Thomas Massey. Like, you right. don't see that. So, like, they, they should kind of be like North Stars. And then, hey, you know, if you appeal <laughs> to, like, that crowd, then you were you really wouldn't have to worry about this. Um, now, when it comes to the federal campaigns, uh I think the two that are two are well, there's four that I think are really kind of getting the most attention. And number one would probably be Josh Smith. Um, number two would be Recton Wald. Number three, I would say is probably Chase Oliver. And then number four is uh, Mike Tiermott. Um, I know you can't give any endorsements on any of them, but uh, I, I guess I kind of want your opinion on what the temperature of the water is for you and the people that you're kind of responsible for. I think if I had to guess, just the temperature seems to be, it's a Recton Walt Smith situation, uh, mainly just because, I mean, they're they're good at the mess. I mean, Recton Walt is incredibly bright. For anyone that doesn't know him, you should read one of his books. You should listen to one of his podcasts, his several podcast appearances on like Tom Woods or Dave Smith or whatever. He's incredibly bright. He's an academic, came from the left, uh, and uh, he has a lot of good stuff to say. Josh Smith has always obviously been very good with messaging. His video that came out was was fire. I don't know if you saw his promo video yes. that was I think it was made by Dan Smots. And of course, the, the, the guy's a genius, but that, that was done really, really well. Um, so I think that that's going to be that that's going to be what it's going to come down to, really, if I'm to be honest about it. Uh, I, you know, I can't endorse either of them. We're going to see how things play out. But I need to see more from all of them all the way around. I don't see. Um, 
I see these kind of lackluster town halls. I get emails all the time from some of the other presidential candidates about wanting to do a town hall and stuff. And, you know, 11 to 15 people are showing up on Zoom or whatever. They, they need to change the strategy. They need to do something else. I'm not, uh, I know I'm not their campaign manager. I'm not the one telling them what to do, but they need to do something to garner excitement. I've, I've met most of these presidential candidates in person or been in an event where they've been speaking and they don't hold the attention of the room. Uh, I, I haven't seen Reckonwald speak personally, but I would imagine that he could garner that kind of uh, that respect and he could get your attention. Josh, I've obviously seen speak in person and he can he can command a room when he needs to. So that's what it's really going to come down to is who can the pitch is it has to be who is going to represent LP interests the best all the way across the board. You may not agree with everything or you may not like that they had a mean tweet here or that they said something that you didn't think was particularly funny. But who is going to be the person that is going to represent your values that you can turn to and be proud of that guy? Right. Um, and I think that's what they really need to focus on at the end of the day. And I think as far as that's concerned, there's two front runners for that. The rest really need to. And they announced, you know, the the latest. Right. So it was yeah. Josh Smith and then Rechtenwald, if I remember the order correctly, yeah. while the others like Chase Oliver, Mike Termott, Lars Mapstead, uh, Hornberger all announced at least months ago, if not almost a year ago. So yeah. the fact that they're kind of that, you know, they're informal polls, of course, but the fact that they're that far down in the informal polls means that being first isn't always the best. I think that's kind of the, the, it looks like the Josh Smith and Rechtenwald campaigns are doing the Apple strategy. You know, Apple didn't come, it wasn't the first for a lot of this stuff, but they ended up being the best. Little bias there, I have Apple everything, but oh I do God. think that... Uh, <laughs> I'm Bay Area, man. I'm California. What do you expect? Silicon Valley is a stone a stone's throw away. Tim Cook mm -hmm. and I, we hung out at a party. Well, we didn't hang out at a party, but I was at a party that he was at. <laughs> um, <laughs> he doesn't. Uh, I didn't even see him, but I know that he was there. Uh, but it's just one of those things where it, it'll be interesting to see who who want who really wants it, who's going to be willing to put in the effort and the work. They're going to win, and they have to come to California. Um, I mean, we're charging presidential candidates to come here. We are the largest delegation in the country. Uh, we always have and will have, again, over 100 delegates. And all roads to D.C. go through California. So like us or not, they have to come and make the pitch to the California delegation. I can't make it for them. So I, I think that it looks like Rechtenwald is coming. It looks like Josh Smith is coming. The other presidential candidates are kind of like, I don't know. I guess if you think you can lock up all the other states when it comes before national convention, I mean, have fun with that. But it's really going to like you have to come here and you have to make your pitch to California, because I can say in all honesty that California does not appear to be sold on anyone that I have seen just yet. It's even all across the board as far as I as far as I know. Well, wow, that's kind of surprising. I I think you're right in your assessment that it's going to be a toss up between Rechtenwald and Josh. Now, me personally, I like Josh a little bit more um, just because I, you know, I personally know Josh. And, you know, I've talked. I'm to so him. sorry for that, by the way. <laughs> he's He's been on the show. He was, I think, my sixth guest. I can't believe it was almost. <laughs> he's from my county. He ago. came. He was uh, he was here in Contra Costa County back then before he moved to Iowa. So uh, I'll, oh, I'll mess with him every once in a while. Oh, I got you. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to meet him in person sometime. I don't know if we're going to make it out to our convention this year. We'll. The, the wife and I are, are, are have things planned, so we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. Um. Yeah, I, I'm 
like I said, I think it's going to be a toss up between those two. And I haven't seen enough from Rechtenwald yet. So I don't have a good enough opinion on it. I see everybody saying that he's a boring academic, but I'll hold judgment till I can kind of see that for myself. Um, I, I don't know what to think, but I'm really hoping that, you know, it's a lot better than Joe Jorgensen's campaign. And a lot of people knocked her. I don't think there was anything inherently wrong with Joe Jorgensen. I just think that she doesn't have the as the kids say now riz or you know the the style or the you know she doesn't engage with people the same way that a lot of people that are running now necessarily do so um i think she was sold on all the issues and people would say oh well she had that one bad tweet but like i feel like people <laughs> blew that up because they wanted it to they they were looking for something if it wasn't that it would have been something else i use that tweet all the time that's the most that's the most infamous tweet i think in at least recent lp history so yes. it is fun to to do it but i what i really would like to see i i will say that i i I think that that toss up stands. And I, again, I do want to see Reckonwald more and see how he engages in front of people. Cause I haven't seen that. I've never heard him speak in, in person. I've never been in an event where he's been at. I've never had a chance to meet him in person. So uh, I, I would like that opportunity and hopefully he comes to California and uh, I'd like to, to see what he has to offer. But what I don't want to see, and I, I do agree with the Joe Jorgensen stuff. I think she got a bad rap. She was very solid. She was a solid libertarian, a lot of stuff. I think she got a yes. lot of, I think it was a campaign thing. I mean, the, the I'm, you know, um, or what was it? The, you know, let her speak sort of thing. That was just like yeah. uh, that. All of that was very cringe and terrible. And whoever thought that that was a good idea should never be running campaigns again. <laughs> but I, I will say that I don't want I've seen a little bit of this on Twitter and I do hope that it doesn't escalate too much. I don't want to see negativity going back between back and forth between Josh and Rick. I don't want to see any negative campaigning. Joe Jorgensen was able to do her thing without negative campaigning. I don't think we don't want to fight ourselves. We're still on the same side and let the delegates decide who like the negative campaigning should be reserved for, you know, whoever the GOP candidate is, whoever the DNC candidate ends up being if Biden is still alive or whatever. Um, but that that's what I want to see. I don't want to see Josh attack uh, Rechtenwald. I don't want to see Rechtenwald attack Josh or any of the others, really. Just let people don't like the negativity, especially within the party. We've had enough of it. The infighting, the infighting has got to stop. And I know that they're not infighting. They're on the same side. They're just fine for the same bid. But I think that people are going to be more responsive to a positive message. You should choose me because I'm more qualified in X, Y, Z respect. Not this guy sucks or this guy's boring or this guy doesn't know what he's doing or whatever. So I hope that they that that they kind of pivot on that. It hasn't gotten too bad yet, but I have seen a little bit. I have seen some some blows thrown. So I, I hope that that they keep it clean. Uh, Angela did a really good job. I think that's one of the things that also won her the chair's race. She she made a pact with the rest of the chair candidates to not have a negative campaign. And she never said a negative camp. You know, some of them broke it a little bit and would say negative things. And she was steadfast in making sure her qualifications and her enthusiasm, her energy, her vision for the party was what spoke to people, not this guy sucks. This guy looks like Uncle Fester. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. I hope uh, all that stuff that she could have said, but uh, you know, you let other people do it for you. Let other people fight your battles for you. If they, if you want other libertarians to attack other, let, let them do it. You're not going to find a libertarian that's shy when it comes to attacking another libertarian. So let them do it. Keep your, <laughs> keep your head above water and then just stay steadfast. Yeah, no, I, I really like that message as well. And I agree that Angela, I think, did a very, very good job. And I think that uh, she's kind of been a little bit of an unsung hero as well. And, you know, kind of done her due diligence to not 
go out of her way to smear anybody. And when I had her on last um, couple months back, I remember her saying that um, I think her and I were going back and forth about like blocking people. And, uh, you know, I think she's right to do it. If you have people who are just going to relentlessly pester you, then sorry. <laughs> like, I won't I, block. I won't block. I, I do take a little bit of a nuance. So I won't block people. I will bully them relentlessly until they block me. <laughs> Uh, because I feel like, like, I don't know who you are. Like you follow me, you decide. So it's, unless they, I think I've only blocked, I think one person that like legitimately was harassing me or threatened to like kill me or something. I'm like, okay, you're weird. I'm not scared, but I just don't want to see, you know, death tweets or whatever, or DM. So I think I've only blocked one person for that reason. The rest, I just bully into submission. And that's where Angela and I, she's really nice. It's really funny that she gets this rap as this like really mean lady that does X, Y. She's the sweetest person ever. She is. And mm -hmm. uh, she'd rather block and not deal with you. Whereas I'll, you know, I'll throw a punch or two if one is thrown at me. I never throw the first jab, but I will, I right. will fight. I can't, you know, I'm not swole like you. So I have to fight, you know, using my words and stuff. I do need to hit the gym at some point in time. So I, I use uh, I use the verbal attacks, not the physical ones, uh, because I can't. And that's just where we're at. But uh, yeah, so I try not to block people if I don't have to. I will just bully them into submission and, and hope that they block me. And it usually works. I mean, or just ignore them and then they kind of go away. They feed off this negativity. Like they'll say stuff and I'll just laugh at something that I see. It's someone's tweeting, like someone, I, this just happened, I think, last week. I was up sending emails or doing whatever. Someone followed me at like, I think it was midnight my time and then just sent me a DM or it was, a, or mentioned me or something and started, I'm like, dude, what is, I don't even know where you are, but what is your life that you have to, at it's midnight, at minimum it's midnight. Let's assume that you're a West Coast person. And your first thought was, let's just attack, attack Adrian for no reason or whatever. And you know, I can just ignore that and laugh it off and think it's just sad, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, I completely get that. But uh, I think, yeah, the only place where you and I would differ is that like if I think if it's a situation where like I'm trying to have a good faith interaction with people and they just don't budge and they're being rude, then all right, you're, you're getting blocked. But, but see, or, that's where you that's where I, I respectfully that's I think where you make a mistake. There's one thing I was joking about this with Spike at Freedom Fest. And I said he had a tweet a while back. I don't know if you remember it where he said. If uh, if someone has to insult you on Twitter, it's because they don't have an argument or something like that. And I was like, I know what you're saying and I don't want to be this autistic about it, but I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. So when it comes to like, I won't engage with people that don't come at you in good faith. Like, you can almost tell instantaneously, not always, yes. but I will say that 90% of the time you can tell just by looking at their bio and scrolling through two seconds of their feed, you can tell if they're coming at you with a genuine question and they want to genuinely interact and i've had those conversations on twitter and then we just agree to disagree and we call it a day and no one you know dies and it's fine uh there are people that come at you and it's just like i'm not going to waste my time giving you an actual argument i'm just going to say that you're gay and we're going to call it a day and we're going to move on or you know whatever i'm just going to insult you in some witty way usually it's not your gay it's something actually witty and then we're just going to move on with i'm going to move on with my day because and then they'll keep going right and it's just i just laugh and i might insult them one or two more times depending on how many drinks i've had and then we're done uh but i'm not going to actually have a, a decent conversation with you or whatever yeah. some some this happened like last week someone kept going back and forth and then so i subtweeted something like people aren't worth your time or whatever if they can't form some sort of if their opinion of you is that you're like mexican hitler or you misgendered them despite not having 
you know, there's nothing on your profile that indicates that you're either a man or a woman because you have, you don't, you won't even put your face on your profile picture. You won't even put, ironically enough, your pronouns or whatever in your bio to let me know that you're like a dude or a chick. And then you get mad about that. You just want to be outraged by something, you know, whatever. I'm not going to spend time trying to argue with you and tell you how I'm not racist or how I'm not a bigot because you've already formed this thing in your mind. And I've likewise, decided that you're retarded so it's going to take a long time like i'm open-minded to you changing you know you proving me wrong but i'm not going to sit there and you know waste my time doing it so that's what i would say to that is that i wouldn't engage a lot of these people uh, it's just not worth it i just give an insult and unless they really do come at you with something that's substantive then we'll go you know agree to disagree at the end of the day if that's what it comes down to yeah, I, I I do a little bit of that, and sometimes I feel like some people just need to feel a hurt, and <laughs> I, I'm starting to like. It's kind of funny that I'm almost at the point now where like people know what I'm gonna say or know what like triggers me and know when I'm gonna go after somebody. So it, I, I'm, you might be at that point too, but it's it's pretty enjoyable. People like if they say something about artificial sweeteners or seed oils or something like that, they're like, oh my god, he's gonna come in and give you a licking. I'm like. <laughs> I, I try not to be that guy, but people already know. That's good um, too, actually. That's not bad. Give them one thing, and then you know, if there's something that triggers you, give them one good tweet, and if you can tell if they're how they respond, if they ask a genuine question, you know, educate them. It's not hard. Uh, if they if they come at you with like you don't know what you're talking about because you're dumb, then it's like okay, then you can just insult them back and then call it yeah. a day. Yeah, I think that's what uh, Twitter's mostly for. Unfortunately, I, I try to use it to spread good information, but it's so funny. Like, I'll put up a tweet that's like very informative, or I'll make a long thread about nutrition stuff, or maybe like you know foreign policy stuff, like no traction. But I, I call someone like gay, or say that like you know we should repeal the nineteenth, or you know say something about women, then like oh my god, my shit blows up. <laughs> So, you know, it, it really does incentivize the worst behavior in people. I, I hate that it's that way because I wish I could sit here and just tell people, hey, this is what I think about politics. This is what I think about foreign policy. This is what I think about relationships. And this is what I think about nutrition. And like everybody would like it and share it and I'd get more followers and people would be like, oh, my God, my life's so much better this way. But it don't work that way. If, if I call someone an idiot or ratio them, then, you know, OK, well, that's what gets my follower or my following. Um, that's what grows my following. It's I'm going to have to go through your timeline and read some of those nutrition threads. I live on a, on a steady diet of scotch and gummy bears. So I need to, I'm assuming that that's not something that you advocate for. So I'm going to have to, um, I got so pumped by your intro because I was like, look at all these men, like lifting weights and drinking protein. <laughs> and I need to learn something there. So I'll have to go through some of those threads. Nice. Well, um, my DMs are always open. Um, I, I think that's probably actually a decent place to wrap it. <laughs> but I, I do like myself some scotch. I love that. Meat. Adrian just said he's not a man. Let's go ahead and wrap up there. That's good. <laughs> love it. No, I will listen. I already gave you the compliments. You have the voice of an angel. So if we put a couple <laughs> inches on them pipes, then dude, I, I'm, I promise you, I don't know what your relationship status is, but I promise it will be better. If you're dating somebody right now, you'll be dating three people. Or like, you know, if you're single, then you'll definitely have a girlfriend by the, by the end of all this. I promise. Well, now I have to say that, uh, yeah, that I am dating Meredith. So I have to say that now. Uh, otherwise, she'll kill me later. So there's okay. her shout out. She wanted one. I, I promised not to give one. But now you, I kind of opened that door. So there we are. Meredith came in here. Oh, I there she is. And of walking. course, she has. Now she's all excited. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm not going to get yelled at later. That's nice. Oh, uh, okay. Ah, now it all clicks. Okay, beautiful. Well, 
you know what? I, I she was on the show a couple months ago, and I got to say, I think I like you just a little bit more. So just, nice. Stick that one in a little bit. Yes. All right. <laughs> she's, she's followed me for long enough, so she knows what I'm about, and I think she knows that I'm a uh, very, very reasonable, rational person. And hopefully, um, she thinks that I'm smart too. So, I don't know. Um, Adrian, go ahead, give your plugs, man, and we'll definitely do this again sometime. I really enjoy talking to you. Yeah, uh, if you're not following LP National on Twitter, you should do that. Uh, it's at, at LP National. Uh, you know, I, I'm on the LNC there, so follow. We're doing good stuff there. Uh, <laughs> um, at LP of CA for the uh, California handle, or visit our website at ca.lp.org. Become a member. It's only 25 bucks for state, 25 bucks for national, and every little bit counts. I don't get paid for any of these four positions, so please, uh, we need to keep the lights on somehow, and that's how we advance liberty. You can follow me personally at Adrian F. Maligon. Uh, it's just my full name, so feel free to follow me there. Sometimes I have a good tweet. Most of them aren't, but every once in a while I have a banger that'll get me you know, 20 or so followers. So uh, yeah, come check out what we're doing. And obviously, California Mises Caucus, so CA Mises Caucus. Follow us there or join the Mises Caucus. Support the cause. Beautiful. All right, Adrian, I appreciate your time and hopefully everybody enjoyed. Um, make sure you go to the links below. I got some of Adrian's stuff down there as well as all my stuff. And until next time, everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah actually, sorry. In about a half hour, I will be on with Cognitive Vigilance, my Thursday night show with Brandy and Ryan. And that's always a fun show. So um, until next time, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And Adrian, I appreciate your time one more time. And take care, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes insomnia brain fog moodiness or weight gain you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging the experts at midi health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause and MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.